0: On this episode of Jeff Does Vegas.
1: I seek my inspiration in so many different ways. And I'm I'm the type of chef that wakes up in the middle of the night, you know, thinking of something. And then the next day, I just I have to do it. It's like this compelling process.
0: Las Vegas.
1: It's more than just a city. It's
0: a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the Strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff. And this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 152 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into things for this episode of the podcast, I want to take a moment to thank my guest from the last episode, Claire White, director of education at the Mob Museum in downtown Las Vegas. Claire hopped on the show for an in-depth discussion about the history of the entertainment industry in Las Vegas and the role that organized crime played in creating and growing that industry. Johnny Roselli, Frank Sinatra, and Wayne Newton were just some of the big names that came up in our discussion. Plus, we talked about some of the lesser-known folks who played a part in turning Las Vegas into, quote, the entertainment capital of the world. If you haven't listened as of yet, pop into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 151, The Ties That Bind, Vegas Entertainment and The Mob Connection. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I make absolutely no secret about the fact that I love food. In fact, as frequent listeners of the podcast know, anytime I get down to Las Vegas and put together a trip report episode, I always mention that being able to tell everyone about the restaurants I've visited and the meals I've enjoyed is my favorite part of the trip. So when I was presented with the opportunity to talk to a Las Vegas-based chef who took her passion for cooking and turned it into a career, I absolutely jumped at the chance. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Chef Alicia Chevatone. Chef Alicia is a pop-up chef who hosts events all over the city. She's authored two cookbooks with two new ones on the way. She's a regular on morning news programs all across Las Vegas, as well as hosting her own cooking show online. And she's the founder of Dink Cuisine, a unique cooking concept for a very specific demographic. Chef Alicia and I chatted about what got her into cooking initially, what inspired her to follow her passion and make it something bigger, the creative process she follows when creating new recipes, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Chef Alicia (laughs) Chevatone.
1: i first moved to vegas in 2001 uh, with my husband right after we got married i got married uh, back in the bay area some silicon valley kid born and raised in san jose and uh, that's where i met my husband um you know when we first moved out here we were both working for tech companies at the time. I was, after I graduated from law school, um, I decided not to become an attorney and just kind of go into high-tech sales. You know, he was working for a high-tech company. September 11th happened uh, and we both lost our jobs. So we had to move back to uh, the Bay Area. There wasn't a lot of, you know, Zoom meetings and stuff at the time. So you kind of pretty much had to be, you know, where, where your company was based. Um, so we moved back and... Um, you know really at that point kind of kept up our our both of our careers and, you know my husband is a former musician he's also an artist um if you see the sahara painting right behind me this is something that he did um he actually painted a a beautiful painting of the hard rock logo which is where we got engaged uh, back in 99 so you know our our history in this town dates back quite a ways um but we didn't get a chance to move back to las vegas until 2019 um which is when all my Dink cuisine really started rolling, which has been great uh, ever since.
0: So, what was it that brought you back to Las Vegas? Was it just you wanted kind of out of that tech industry, and you were saying, you know what, I really want to turn this this passion that I have into something big.
1: Yeah, you know, um, this is our town. I mean, it's it's um, just because we didn't live here. You know, even when we weren't um, living here, we were coming to Vegas probably about every four to six weeks. Uh, so we just sort of figured, you know, it's it's time to move back. You know, we wanted a house. We were living in the, the Marina District in San Diego for 10 years, which was awesome. You know, it's always sad to leave a town like San Diego. Um, but, you know, when you only have 1,100 square feet and your dues are 900 a month, you know, you start to think about, OK, what's our retirement plan going to look like? Want to build a house that's ours? You know, want to have room for a dog uh, sort of thing. So um, it just made a lot of sense for us to come back here. You know, tech is still very much a, a big part of our lives. Um, you know, my husband and I both have uh, our day jobs still. Uh, been able to successfully navigate both. Um, I'm a CEO of a consulting firm that's based back in Silicon Valley. Uh, you know he works for a, a company uh, in the utilities industry and you know for now it's 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 working for us because of the flexibility of what we do and we make it ours. Um, it's one of the benefits of not working for a restaurant for me is because I've got the flexibility to do events and projects and uh, entrepreneurial endeavors you know outside of my day-to- day
0: so let's talk about cooking because, again, this is something that I love. I mean, clearly, I love to eat. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, how How did you get into cooking? I mean, how did you learn to cook? Is it just you've always enjoyed spending time in the kitchen and messing around with recipes and trying stuff out? I mean, what, what really got you into it?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you the um, – so my mom is – just a fabulous cook. She was doing stuff in the seventies and the eighties, you know, unlike anybody else. I mean, she was exploring with, you know, uh, Indian cuisine, you know, Asian cuisine and different types of things. So I had a, a pretty sophisticated palate very early on because of her, um, my mom is Northern Italian, so I'm kind of split right down the middle. My father was French and you know, my mom's Italian. And so sort of like, you know, an, a, a European vibe growing up, you know, really had a good uh, appreciation for food, was exposed to a lot of things. My mom took me on a lot of trips, you know, was when I was growing up. Um, and, you know, I got to experience a, a lot of different cultures and cuisines, which really inspired um, my interest in, in cooking myself and, and learning the craft. Um, It's very, very difficult, you know, when you're, when you're starting out, you know, you gotta, you know, buy spices and you gotta, you know, figure out like you, you're buying a bunch of cookbooks. You see all the books behind me are all cookbooks that I've collected over the years. And I've got stacks, you know, you just sort of um become just a, a constant student um in the craft. Uh, and so I started cooking, particularly when I got married back in 2000, you know, it was really a time for me to kind of, you know, nest and, you know, do some really fun things. And what really inspired dink cuisine for me though is because i noticed that i was wasting a lot of food i was overeating and a lot of that is because standard recipes are written for anywhere from four to eight servings and my husband and i are childless by choice um didn't want to do the kid thing uh and we also like to eat out a lot and be out at night and so In general, I think a lot of people are sort of lulled into this expectation that they should be meal planning, right? That's the big thing. Like if you're going to be fit and you're going to be healthy, then you're going to plan your meals. That works for some people. But if you have a dynamic life, you know, here in Las Vegas, you know, the world's our oyster. We could be anywhere (laughs) tonight. I have no idea what's going on tonight. I'm not going to meal plan because that food ends up in the trash. So that's really how Dink Cuisine got started is because I started writing recipes for two then I decided to self-publish my first cookbook, which is Italian Cookbook for Two. Um, and then it just, my following took off on social media at that point, because there were plenty of people just like us who have kids, but in our demographic, their kids have moved on, so they're empty nesters. Or there are single people taking care of an aging parent or, you know, roommates, any number of different, you know, college kids just kind of starting out, you know, they don't want to cook, you know you know, really complicated recipes for eight people. Right, right. It kind of all started from there, but it primarily started because I love to cook, but I was not going to cook for an army. I just wanted to cook for me and my husband.
0: You mentioned growing up uh, with a a French dad and an Italian mom. And I have Mm -hmm. friends uh, who are Italian and I've had dinner at their homes and Speaking of cooking for an army, I mean, (laughs) was that kind of your, your upbringing? I mean, again, I can't, I can't go to an Italian friend's house without their mom saying, you look hungry here, have something. (laughs) And they're pulling stuff out of the fridge. Was that, was that your experience at all as a kid?
1: No, no, um, that's not how, um, uh, my family was. And I don't know if it's different in Northern Italy. Um, I, you know, maybe that sort of dynamic was just a, a, a little bit different, but my mom was very much like, you know, and it's so common now to kind of the whole a la minute, you know, you're, you're cooking fresh, you know, you're thinking about what's in season, you know, is certainly in vogue now. But, you know, my mom was doing that back in, you know, in, in the eighties, um, when I was growing up and she cooked very deliberately, very specific meals for who was coming and not, you know, because she was expecting 20 people to roll in the house. That just wasn't the type of house that we had. So, yeah, no, that wasn't my Italian experience, but I know it's very common. Yeah.
0: <laughs> tell me a little bit about the, the creative process that you follow when you are developing a, a new dish or a new recipe.
1: Yeah. You know, i tell you, thank, thank God for the internet. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I <laughs> And thank God for, for, you know, food network and, you know, just restaurants. Um, I get, I seek my inspiration in so many different ways. And I'm, I'm the type of chef that wakes up in the middle of the night you know, thinking of something. And then the next day I just, I have to do it. It's like this compelling process. Uh, My thing yesterday that I came up with was uh, sort of a miniature chicken Parmesan on crostini, uh, which is a little toasted baguette. So I wanted to do, because I do a lot of appetizer events. So I'm always trying to shrink down, you know, traditional meals into small format. So for me, I'll take a look at, okay, so what, what, how does garden do, you know, a particular recipe? Or if it's Italian, I'll go to Giada and I'll, I'll think, okay, what's, you know, what is she doing? I'll look at certain recipes and then I'll pick apart things that I don't like. And of course I have to shrink it down because again, they're normally for like eight people. So it's a it's a process of sort of th- synthesizing um, recipes from different people, taking what I like. And that's what everybody does. Everybody's inspired by someone else. Um, you know, in, in cooking, just like in anything else, just like in music, you know, there are very few original ideas. You never want to take credit or be overly boastful about something. Um, you know, but at the same time, I uh, the other day, I, I love mashups. So I'm always kind of taking different recipes and mashing them together. The other day I did one that was a combination of chilaquiles, which is a popular Mexican uh, brunch dish almost. And then enchilada suiza. So I called it suizaquiles. And technically that's never been done because Google says so. <laughs> 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 original idea. I thought that was pretty cool. But um, but yeah, it's, you know, the whole creative process is just, you know, you're you're out to eat, you think of something, you know, you're watching your favorite cooking show, you're reading a cookbook and, you know, you think my God, wouldn't it be cool if I did this? And I actually have to do it. It's it's just, you know, sort of h- how I come up with my crazy uh, recipes. And then I put them online and then everybody goes, oh God, what does she do now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and so who gets to be your guinea pig or your tester? Is it your husband that, that yeah. you try this stuff on?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And me. And me. <laughs> Yeah. And my mom. So yesterday I I came up with a new uh, dessert and my mom was here. Uh, and so she got to taste it and she was super happy. And then I sent her home with a bunch of chicken parmesan.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, yeah. I, I got to come over and get sent home with a bunch of chicken parmesan. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had any epic failures when you've been trying to put something together? You put something together and you try it and you're like, mm, mm. no. And then, and I mean, how do you recover from that? Do you just kind of say, okay, I'm going to play around with this a little bit or mess around? Or do you just toss it and say, forget it? I'm just moving on to something else.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, all the time. I mean, you, you, when you're trying to develop something, particularly mashups, when you're taking two different types of genres of food and you're mashing them together, there's a, there's um it, it takes practice and sometimes it doesn't always work. Like I did a couple of years ago, I did a mac and cheese that I thought was going to be phenomenal. And it was inspired by my love for sour cream and onion potato chips. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do a sour cream and onion mac and cheese. So I'm going to do like a white, like a bechamel sauce. And I'm going to put different types of onions in it. So I had scallions, I had um, I think I had leeks um, and a couple of different things to sort of you know inspire the onion flavor in in the mac and cheese. And then I was going I decided to top it with crumbled up uh, sour cream and onion potato chips and then bake it right to have a crispy topping.
0: This all sounds amazing to me.
1: It, it, <laughs> I, 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 I actually, that was one that I didn't pick up and try again because I was so disappointed that when it came out and my husband and I tasted it, we were like, Oh my god! This is terrible. This <laughs> was really really bad, and I don't even I don't know what went wrong. It was one of those things where I was like so scarred by that that I didn't pick it up. So I they, thanks for reminding me. Actually, I should try it again because it does sound like a good idea, right? But
0: <laughs> I, I was going to say I'm sorry I've brought up past trauma from the, the sour cream and onion mac and cheese. That does sound really good, though. I mean, and it sounds like it, it's kind of always kind of cracked me up a little bit because my wife and I have played around with recipes and things like that, and she's she's the 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 baker and the recipe follower the recipe Mm -hmm. sort of maker upper of the two of us. I think I just made up a a phrase, whereas (laughs) I tend to like stick more to here's the recipe. I need a list and a checklist. That's sort of my analytical brain. And every once in a while, yeah, we just, we throw something together and it's like this on its own is great. And this on its own is great, but these two things together, no, just (laughs) toss it. Forget about it. That's horrible.
1: (laughs) Well, and I I kind of, uh, my husband gets really mad because I, I am also always experimenting with burgers and I love just like a really juicy burger. And then sometimes I'll put like too much dairy in it or something. And then they, he's like, yeah, I can't grill these. They fall apart. And it's like, you know, why, you know, just give me a regular, <laughs> like season it and just let me grill it, you know? And it's like, I'm always trying to put, so yeah, I mean, you know, you you constantly are trying to innovate and do exciting things. But yeah, it doesn't always work out that way, Jeff.
0: <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Are you one of the people that kind of tries to incorporate new food trends into what you're working on? I mean, there it it seems yeah. like there's always something around the corner. I mean, one month it's avocados and then all of a sudden it's kale and then it's, it's mm-hmm. something else random. It's rutabagas. I don't know where I pulled rutabagas out of, but it just mm-hmm. came to me in the brain. I, all of a sudden it's something like that. Are, are you one of those people that's like, you know what? Yeah, I am going to play around with that and see what I can do with it.
1: Yeah, I have. Um, so I'm doing a, a uh, my next, writing my next cookbook with Tiffany, which, which we've talked about before. And you know, a lot of the central themes of that are um, reboots of recipes that we loved as a kid, or that were popular. You know, in the '80s in particular. And um, I have never had rice roni in my life, but I decided to make um, a, a healthier version of rice roni, inspired by rice roni, with cauliflower and I call it my collaroni. Um, so cauliflower is, you know, plus I, one of my cookbooks is actually a, a, a ketogenic vegetarian cookbook. So I do a lot of things with, with vegetables and, um, you know, you, you take a look at social media. I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to reels on Instagram. I mean, I think everybody is, everybody loves TikTok. you know, right now, the big thing is, uh, these chopped, uh, Italian hoagies. Have you heard of those? I have not actually,
0: but I'm going to go look for them.
1: Yeah so you you take like um all the things that you would get in an in an Italian sub basically, and you chop up all the ingredients. Um, and it would probably was one of the best sandwiches I've ever made. And so I'm actually putting it on the menu for one of my pop-ups uh, on June 3rd at uh, Vegas Valley Winery, where I've had a culinary residency there for uh, almost two years now. And so that's going to be uh, actually on the menu just in, in slider form. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's just, that's a that's a TikTok one that I I couldn't ignore. <laughs> and it's because It's really good. Really, it, really good.
0: It's funny. That you mentioned cauliflower because I think the most exotic I've gotten with cauliflower is mixing it in with my mashed potatoes to cut the calories. That, that yeah. was, and what's interesting is we have a friend who hates cauliflower, but we've snuck it into the mashed potatoes a couple of times on her and she's never noticed. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's people who are, you know, I don't know, gluten free and it's got different types of sensitivities, allergies, or whatever. Um, I really like, um, Gosh, there's a tabbouleh that I do that has, um, cauliflower instead of bulgur. Um, and that's a a really, really good one because, you know, you're, you're chopping it up super, super small. You rice it, right? It's basically like whole rice. Just put it in a food processor and, and chop it up super, super tiny. But you put it in cute with cucumber and, you know, a a nice vinaigrette, something super bright, bunch of herbs. And it's like, you don't taste that it's cauliflower. It's just, yeah
0: doesn't really have it's a like taste. Caboli. Yeah. Yeah. Does, cauliflower. Ta- if somebody had to describe the taste of cauliflower, it'd be white broccoli. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. People cook the hell out of it. And then it smells like, you know, it smells up the house, you know, but like if you were to have it raw, like it's, yeah, it's just, it's a great canvas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, have there been any food trends that you've kind of looked at it and went, no, I'm not even going to attempt this because I think it's silly.
1: Not really. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a type of thing where I think I'll, I'll try just about anything. And I, I don't know what that is. I really, um, and I've tried to be introspective about something like this. Um, there are culinary professionals, um, culinary educated, you know, uh, going to culinary school is an entirely different thing. If you go to pastry school, if you go to culinary school, you develop a mindset that is, pristine it, it's there's a pedigree there it's it's like going to you know uh, ivy league school um but i think what that does for many chefs is it removes them from the day-to-day of us right the people that cook at home and and that's why i always say because I'm, I'm more rachel ray than i am giada right if you were to take my two idols and sort of the combination of both of them giada is very you know went to culinary school in france she's you know she's done a lot of stuff and she's got a lot of great credentials to back up what she's done Uh um but i think the reason why i'm not afraid and there's there's not trends that i just have a revulsion towards is because i don't necessarily think that i'm better than anything you know it's there's i don't have that ego all right at least i try not to um that says god what are they doing (laughs) (laughs) because people are probably looking at my stuff going like what is she what is she doing like it's crazy
0: so. It, I think it 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 is kind of important to mention. I mean, you're as you say, you're not quote unquote professionally mm-hmm. culinary trained. You you're not a, a, a you didn't go to school or any of that. You are 100% self-trained and self-taught, yes. which I think is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> That's got to be a little bit nerve-wracking and a little intimidating though at times.
1: Is it? It is. Um, you know, I at when I first started, I would say yes but it's only because I would hear things, you know, from people and they would say, well, you know, you're calling yourself a chef and people in this town in particular, you know, might take offense to that. It's like, you know, you're not really a chef, you're more of a cook or whatever. And it's like, I'm not calling myself a chef. Other people are calling me a chef. You know, so and I'm, you know, a cookbook author. That's why I kind of say you know, I'm a television personality. I've got, you know, uh, my own show. I'm I'm also, you know, an in-studio chef, you know, here in Las Vegas. But I think it's um you raise an interesting point that it it again, it depends on where you come from and what you like. I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. I'm not trying to be everything for everybody. Um, I like to stay in my lane, but I like to constantly push the boundaries and um still have been presented with some amazing opportunities here in this town, which I am forever grateful, always will be for. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's a line in the sand. You know, you're you're, out, you're on, on one side or the other, you know, and it's 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 palpable at times, but it doesn't bother me.
0: Uh, For me personally, I don't care who's cooking the food. If it's good and it's showing up on my plate and it tastes wonderful, I really don't care who's cooking
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) And there's plenty of room. And for all of us, you know, there's uh, celebrity chefs that are coming into this town. They continue to open restaurants. There's people off strip who are, you know have incredible concepts you know we've got Chinatown we've got so many different parts of the city um, that make us great and there's there's room for everybody there's people there's private chefs that are making just killer livings just doing things at in airbnbs I mean it's you know it's a great way to make a living and be be passionate about what you do
0: you've talked about um, Dink cuisine a couple of times and you've brought that up and you've mentioned it. There are probably people that are not familiar. I I am, I'm 100% familiar with the term because I am one. Uh, My wife and I are Dinks. And, and and when you bring that up, there's people that are probably like, what the hell are they talking about? What are you talking about? So, so maybe a brief explanation of the term Dink would be helpful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Dink is an acronym for dual income, no kids. So that was kind of like when I was thinking about, well, what can I if I'm going to be specializing in recipes for two? Like, what what do I call that? That's going to be uh, unique and interesting. And yeah, so my husband and I are dinks, and you're you're you guys are dinks. We are, we are, <laughs> we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, I mean, really, that whole idea we talked a little bit about where the idea of dink cuisine came from originally, and it really was, as you say, it was just a case of. I don't want to waste food. I don't want to be buying for a bunch of stuff and adapting those recipes for, as you say, because it it it's anytime you open up a cookbook, it's always for a family of four, or a family of six or whatever. And mm-hmm. let's face it, for some of us talking about me here, math is <laughs> hard. <laughs>
1: I didn't want to do fractions anymore. I mean, honestly, like how, how do you, you know, how, what, what's, you know, one fourth of a quarter teaspoon of salt. I mean, I, you know, I was like, we don't pay an eighth of a teaspoon, I guess, but you know, it's just not, uh, it just, at a certain point the industry has to bend for us. Mm-hmm. Right. We've, I've been bending, for the industry and the way, you know, recipes are written, you know, for, I'm I'm, fi- I'm going to be 52 next month. So for quite some time, you know, so what really I'm trying to do is, is to kind of be a voice for, you know, households that are like mine. And interestingly enough, if you look at the census, I think it was either 2021, uh, maybe 2020, but the average household in America is 2.53 people so if anything there are households that are much closer to ours yours and mine than the you know other side <laughs> that have huge houses of people that are you know picking for armies and stuff so i think it's about time that you know we recognize what the dynamics uh, are the demographics um and that's you know i know you're in canada you know i'm talking about here here in the united states um and that's that's a, a growing trend, and the houses or sizes are only getting smaller. So, if anything, we're not going the other way. We're not in the middle of baby boom or anything like that. Households are getting smaller, so it's it's time. Uh, to start thinking a little bit more mindfully about what we're cooking. Um, I always say don't, don't cook aspirationally. I think that's what gets people in trouble when they have good hearts. They've got their head in the right place. Um, they're trying to be mindful about what they're eating and, you know, they're pre cooking and they're, they're trying to do the meal planning thing, but you know, it ends up in the trash. So that's why I think that sort of just-in-time mindset, um, as long as you have, um, and, you know, there are food insecurity issues, you know, certainly I know, um, you know, ingredients are expensive, right? Food is expensive. Um, but to the extent that you can, you know, be, be mindful about, You know, what you're cooking and and don't overextend yourself just thinking like, you know, I I really hope to do this week is do this and then not do it. And then you're wasting food. So you're wasting money anyway.
0: The shift in demographics is an interesting point to make, because, um, as you say, I think it's people are having less kids and they're also, I think, having kids later in life. I, sure. I don't know too many people. Um, I work with, uh, in, in my quote unquote real job, I have a lot of friends that are on the younger side of things that are in their early twenties and, and mid twenties, and even just into their you know late twenties, early thirties. And hardly any of them have kids and yeah. most of them are in some sort of committed relationship, but maybe not necessarily married, but you know, long-term dating or whatever. So I think, yeah, what you've put together is, is a, a kind of a just seems to be the the right evolution, the right shift for for where cooking and and th- where everything is going in that direction.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, it is true. When you take a look at the next generation, I mean Generation Z, and there's so much data on this. It's like you know they don't want to buy cars, they don't want to buy houses, they don't want to settle down, they don't want to have kids. It's like you know there's, they're out there doing stuff, and it's like you know it's it's not for everybody, and um. I think though that if if we're if we're fooling ourselves and you know we we keep sort of you know the patterns, especially Gen X, you know, I'm profoundly Gen X, you know, a lot of it is very much like, oh no, you know, we're we're expecting people to come over, or we're you know, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're having parties at the house. Yeah, you know, a lot of people still do that, you know, but a lot of people do have, you know, very dynamic lives. Um and especially coming out of the pandemic this is what people want to be doing. They don't want to be tied down at the house. They want to be out of, they're having fun with their friends. They want to go out for drinks, you know, or there was a huge mocktail movement. I mean, it not you know, not not necessarily involving alcohol, but um, I I do think though that um, the dynamics that we're talking about are are true. You you can't ignore them. And um, somebody needs to be actually, you know, speaking for that generation too, that it isn't always about, you know, cooking pies and huge casseroles, you know?
0: (laughs) I feel like to a certain degree, I feel like those days are gone. And I feel like even the days of the big house parties and the big entertaining, even prior to covid when we couldn't do that stuff it mm-hmm. felt like that stuff was always kind of shifting away my wife and i used to joke when we would watch the you know realtor house hunter shows or whatever mm-hmm. and and you'd see these people that would be going in and they'd be saying oh we want a big house with room to entertain and we used to laugh and say if that was us on that show we'd be like no we want a house with a 16 foot fence and an 8 foot moat can you find us one of those <laughs> like so it feels <laughs> like that that's kind of gone away and what you've put together is a little more right in right in my wheelhouse yeah,
1: yeah, oh, very much so. I, I can't remember the last house party I went to. My friends don't do that. We like to go out, you know, mm. It's like you finally get through your work week or if I don't have an event, um, you know, and, and people come to Vegas from all over, right? I mean, we have so many friends in Arizona and we're good friends that are coming out, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And it's like, I've got two events when they're here. So, you know, I'm going to have to kind of choose choose my time with them very, very carefully. But you know, that's not the time to, you know, be be putting out a whole bunch of trays on my counter here at the house. It's like we wanna be out. We wanna be yeah. out and having fun. So
0: Well, and especially where you are too. I mean, you were in a city with literally thousands of places that that you can go out to the last place anybody wants to go is to somebody's house
1: (laughs) yeah exactly right yeah yeah and you know if we were you know somehow arrogant about that it's like well why wouldn't people want to come here you know so i could cook for them or like you know be with our dog it's like no we know our friends very very well they want to be on the strip they want to be out so (laughs) which is just fine for us because you know i was just on the strip yesterday i absolutely loved it
0: after the break chef alicia tells us about the numerous projects she's got on the go, including a very spirited cookbook she's getting set to release. And we talk about the work she's been doing with a pop music princess. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. You mentioned you've got a ton of stuff on the go and lots of different projects. You have put out a couple of, of cookbooks previously. Tell me a little bit about those cookbooks.
1: Yeah, so first one was Italian Cookbook for Two that came out in uh, the spring of 2021, Uh, very quickly followed up by Vegetarian uh, Ketogenic Cookbook for Beginners, which was 75 recipes that are uh, low-carbon vegetarian, uh, which was a phenomenal project that I was approached with um, by a a publisher. my next cookbook uh, is available for pre-sale now. It's called Food with Spirit, and that's uh, 50 Alcohol-Infused Recipes. Uh, that's with Histria, which is a publisher, a local publisher here in Las Vegas. Um, and that's actually going to ship on September 26th. Um, and now I'm writing a cookbook with uh, my friend, the pop star Tiffany, which is going to be really exciting. So yeah, we're calling it Pop-Up Life. She's a pop princess, and I'm a pop-up chef. So pop up life. Very
0: cool. I want to get to Tiffany in a second because I think in our original email and our original contact, I, I professed my love for her, Um, (laughs) but I want to talk about the, the food with spirit and the alcohol infused recipes. First of all, I mean, that's, that's a very cool concept and something that, that I don't think I've really seen anywhere before. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite recipes out of that book?
1: Oh my goodness. I have a um, salmon pinwheels that I do where I infuse the cream cheese with vodka. And it's, it's a really cool brunch. Dish. So you, you very thinly slice cucumber and then you lay out smoked salmon or locks on top of that. And you almost treat it like you would a bagel, but, um, you know, very thinly shaved, uh, uh, onions. I use red onions, capers, put a little bit of fresh dill and then you roll it up, um, almost as if you would sushi and then you, you slice it. Um, and the cream cheese that's in in the roll is infused with vodka. And it's, 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 you know, it's very subtle. It's not like you taste any of these recipes. You're like, Oh my God, it's meant to be boozy. Um, not that much at all. They're, they're um, I do a really fun sheet pan, almost like a fajitas with um, portobello mushrooms, peppers, onions. And then once the, so you, you bake them, uh, on a sheet pan in the oven, roast at very, very high temperature. And then when you pull it out of the oven, you pour mezcal on the sheet pan. So it um it, it has a really smoky vibe, which is cool. So, you know, mezcal is like almost like a smoky tequila, right? Um, but the alcohol burns off because it hits the hot sheet pan and it makes a really dynamic presentation. Everyone's like, wow, you know, super, super fun. So you you serve that with blistered tortillas, it's great. Um, but I do other things like um. Chicken marsala, uh, I turn chicken marsala into chicken meatballs with a really luscious marsala sauce. It's and a bunch of mushrooms. It's absolutely delicious. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff. I, I do a, um, one of my desserts uh, is my cannoli tir- tiramisu. So I use Luxardo liqueur, which is like a cherry uh, liqueur. And so I dip the ladyfingers in the cherry liqueur instead of, you know what? traditional like a tiramisu you would you know dip them in espresso um so that's really really good um so yeah there's there's a a lot of great stuff in there and that none of it's really hard you know um some of it takes a while i've got a bully base uh that you know takes a few steps and it takes a couple hours to put together but it's not like it's difficult you know uh so there's, there's some great stuff in there
0: I'm going to have to go on a hunt for a towel and a mop later. Cause I'm sitting here <laughs> drooling. I'm like, hi, oh, glad I put my keyboard aside or else I'd be able to order a new one here. Cause man, I'm si-. the salmon was the one that I'm a big salmon fanatic. And that was the one that really got me as you're describing it. And I can, I can taste it as you're describing <laughs> it. That's, that's outstanding. Um, you. You've also released a, distilled spices, which yes. is kind of a, a cool idea. But, um, Again, another one that I don't think I've ever really seen or or heard of.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, distilled is going to be great. So we're um, you know, we're still in some negotiations now, but you know, certainly by the end of spring we hope to officially launch. I'm I'm creating my website, just distilledspices.com. I've already got my Instagram up, distilled spices. Um, and that's great. I mean it's um I chose seven blends. I'm working with a local company here called Dress the Drink. Um, and they are my manufacturer. They have a ton of experience. Um, they're expanding like crazy. They also do a lot of other things like syrups and, uh, garnishes for drinks. So if you go to places like Golden Tiki, which is our tiki bar here, um, the one that we're primarily known for, you know, they do, you know, a, a lot of stuff for, for Golden, Golden Tiki. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased. They, they actually approached me with, with the idea of doing a spice line uh, because of food with spirit uh, coming out this fall um and it seemed like a, a great project and so i came up with seven blends and i challenged them to uh create them and they did they knocked it out of the park i i'm super super thrilled i think everybody's gonna love it we're gonna um actually package them in a glass flask so the, the, the theme is very alcohol infused uh, and each spice blend is infused with a different spirit. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a, a really cool concept. I think it's really going to take off. We're going to try to get in into stores like whole foods and a couple of the regional, you know, Vegas uh, shops, you know, some of our our, our great Epicurean shops that we have here and gourmet food stores and so forth. So uh, should be fun.
0: What, what would you say is the hardest part about, Cooking with alcohol—is it staying sober while you're cooking? It's (laughs) got to be the. Here's an ounce for this, and an ounce for me. I I mean, I've I've cooked with beer a few times, so I know that's kind of how that goes.
1: (laughs) Um, The hardest thing for me is the spirits that I don't drink. So, um, this is a big source of shame in my family because I, I don't drink anything brown. So unless it's a diet cook, um, I, so I don't like bourbon and my family loves Manhattans. That's just our family thing on the Italian side. Mm-hmm. And, um, because I don't like Manhattans, I decided to cook with them instead. So one of my uh, seasoning blends actually is called my Manhattan barbecue seasoning which started out in italian cookbook for two as one of my some of my breakout famous recipes that i have so i make a barbecue sauce and the concept is you're supposed to make a pitcher of manhattans and you throw a you know and you're supposed to enjoy the manhattans which i don't but my family does and then you throw one of the manhattans into the sauce and then you kind of let it simmer for about a half an hour and it makes this amazing barbecue sauce um and then I you know, slather it on my ribs um, and it's really, really good. But but the hardest part about it, especially doing this cookbook, was having to experiment with things other than vodka <laughs> <laughs> or Malibu rum. I mean, I'm kind of a pedestrian when it comes to uh, spirits. So it's, I have to broaden my palate, um, which is another reason why I like to cook with it is because I don't really drink it. There's so many spirits I don't drink.
0: That barbecue sauce sounds amazing. And again, this is another thing that – you're, you're incredible at this. You're, you're telling me about it and I can, I can taste it. I can smell it in my house and I can taste it. It's like you're in the kitchen at my house right now. I'm like, Oh, this, this seems like this is, Ooh, I gotta, (laughs) I gotta, I gotta try this out. Um, Something else that you do that's really cool is you kind of, you have your own cooking show, essentially sin city kitchen, um, which is a, a, a fantastic little concept. Tell me a little bit about sin city kitchen.
1: So City Kitchen uh, you know in the first season we were doing uh, it was kind of like they they referred to it as ITK right in, in the kitchen. So uh season 1 was very much like uh you know in in my kitchen in my home uh filming I've got a great production team. Uh Richard Gacovino is is a friend of mine and he's a local producer here in Las Vegas, Gacovino Media. He has his own uh channel that streams on Roku, uh, Amazon Fire TV and Apple TV called Hey Vegas and that's where my show is available. Uh, so he approached me with the idea of doing this show, and season two um, is going to be a lot different. So we're going to be out and about uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, so first episode we filmed was in Chinatown uh, at a 16 seat coastal seafood bar owned uh, by my friends Joe Muscullion and uh, Jimmy Lee, who is James Beard nominated uh, chef. They also own uh, Shanghai Taste. So we actually filmed uh, within Sea Fresh, and that um, was a, a great opportunity. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Great things going on this season. Um, we're filming in different restaurants, different locations. Um, hopefully going to be filming at a very famous comedy club uh, here in town um, and actually interviewing a very famous comedian here in town uh, coming up on a future episode. Comedy obviously is huge in Las Vegas. Um Featuring some of the other restaurants uh, that are off strip that a lot of people don't know about. Um, my friend Nina Manchev uh, owns Porte Tapas, which is um, an Eastern European restaurant on uh, Rainbow um, off the strip. She's also known as the Caviar Queen. Hi, Nina. Uh, so she's amazing. She's agreed to come on my show. Um, she's just, she was on diners, drive-ins and dives, I think about 12 or 13 years ago. So, you know, great pedigree comes from UNLV. Um, really, really great. Um, she and her family are are Bulgarian and they make some incredible cuisine so i can't wait to feature them uh frank Mir is an mma uh, uh fighter um and i had an opportunity recently to meet his wife um and talk about cuban cuisine so she's going to come on the show and we're going to do a cuban show and find a cool location for that and just do something fun um, so yeah i'm 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 excited there's a, there's a bunch of things going on and season two is very much going to be about on location and, and the pulse of the city
0: I think that's very cool because I think particularly for my audience and the people that, that listen to my podcast, it's, it's a lot of tourists. Mm -hmm. And as a person that goes frequently, I've been lucky enough to kind of get off the strip with some of my friends that live there and have some local experiences at some of the local restaurants. And I, I, I almost I say I hate to share the secret with the tourists because <laughs> so I don't want the I don't want some of these places to turn into tourist places. But at the same time, right. I think it is really important that people realize that there's such a, a a big world away from the strip, and it's I think it's great that you're sharing that world in, on your on your show to try to get people out as well. I, I think that's excellent.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. And, you know, I mean, there are so much so many different parts, you know, to Vegas. I mean, you know, a lot of people love downtown. I, I personally don't go downtown very often, um, you know, but there's some great things happening downtown. In fact, um Picnic in the Alley is, is a really cool uh, boutique Epicurean event, uh, you know, curated by women that I'll be participating in. And we've got, you know, chefs coming in from from all over Vegas. Um, everybody is based here in Vegas doing any number of different things for food and beverage. You know, and that's that's going to be a great event on on May 21st. I'll be signing cookbooks during the VIP hour. Um, and, you know, um, again, I'll, I'll mention Chinatown again, just a huge plug. But I mean, Chinatown, Vegas. um the social media gets like a million hits a month. I mean, it's it's something crazy and it's a combination of, you know, locals and tourists. I mean, there are a lot of tourists that are venturing out to some different areas now in Chinatown. And it's not, you know, it's not just about Asian cuisine. I mean, there's great Italian cuisine there. Um, I'm doing a pop up there, a four course Italian uh, dinner um, coming up on May 31st um there are you know uh, there's golden tiki uh which is on the outskirts of chinatown um which is a great tiki bar uh so yeah there's just so much but there's a really exciting uh restaurant called partage and again sort of same strip mall vibe like just as if you're going to golden tiki you would never know it's there but as soon as you walk in and you're literally paying you know probably about a third uh as you would you know a French restaurant on the Strip. Um, and I, I love them all. Um, but it's, it's great. So it's really nice to be able to venture out and and uh, fiscally responsible as well. It's there's better deals off the Strip, of
0: course. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and something else that you've landed as well. And you mentioned this to me, which is really cool is you've connected with um, status champagne lounge at the shops at the Palazzo, which is going to be opening up this summer, You're you're going to be involved with that.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. I, so my friends, Hola and Bill, um, they are just serial entrepreneurs. I cannot believe some of the stuff that they're involved in. They just took over Tokyo Social House in like Las Vegas, uh, which is a great restaurant. They're completely transforming that. It's got a beautiful view of the lake. Um, but yes, the, uh, the status champagne lounge is opening in the Palazzo shops, uh, Palazzo side of the Grand Canal shops. And it's right kind of around the corner from Sushi Shamba and like some of the, uh, X-Pod and some of the, the really big restaurants. And, um, they have asked me to, uh, uh, run their uh, their menu and um, probably going to be putting some great things together like pairings, you know, recommendations for, you know, various <clears throat> their sparkling wine and other things that they're going to be having on their menu. So it's a phenomenal opportunity for me. I, I had my debut on the strip uh, actually last year at Sahara Um uh, which is great. So being back on the strip and having this opportunity to actually be a permanent part of, of a menu is, uh, going to be a first for me. And I, I couldn't be more excited for Holland Bill and, and status and, and what they're bringing to, to this community. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really going to be, uh, something very, very special
0: and that end of the grand canal shops is really starting to boom in the last few years as well i've noticed there's been a lot of restaurants you mentioned sushi samba and flight club is in that end of the things yes. end of things as well and and it's good because it, that's a Again, that's turning into a busy end of of the Grand Canal shops with the Atomic Saloon and the Spiegel World show down in that end as well. Yeah. And it's it's always nice to have another option of somewhere to go if you're happen to be headed to the show or you've got something going on. So it's it's great to see that opening up in that end of of the Grand Canal shops. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. It's beautiful too. And and that side, the Palazzo side. Is more my speed. Um, Not just because there's high end shops, you know, you have Christian Louboutin, you know, all that kind of stuff, but it's it's quieter. So if it's it's not as frenetic as you know the gondolas and you know, there's a little bit of chaos on the other side on the Venetian side. (laughs) I prefer more of a chill. Like, okay, let's you know, let's go and have a nice drink and kind of like chill out a little bit, a little bit more loungy, bougie, maybe. But uh, but yeah, I I I like that actually. So it works for me. It's it's a very (laughs)
0: Nice, quiet spot, as you say, to kind of escape from the the singing gondoliers and all the tourists. (laughs) I I feel like not as many people kind of venture down to that end of the Grand Canal shops unless you have a reason to go down there. So it's nice to have another reason to go
1: there. It's true. And see the um, this is kind of like a little insider tip. But my husband and I. Usually park at the win uh, because it's free parking, and uh, you know as a local that's very important. That's <laughs> not everybody has it. Like you know, you got palms and you got I think Mirage and a couple of other uh, you know casinos that still have free parking. We park at the win, have a drink at the win, and then we just walk over the bridge, you know, straight into you know Palazzo, and um, then you, you know you're on that those side of the shops. Mm-hmm. So it works really really nicely because it's you know the proximity to the win is is great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, Now, I want to talk about Tiffany, because as I said, again, professing my love for her, um, (laughs) I grew up, I mean, I would have been probably 12 or 13 years old when I think we're alone now came out. And and Uh so that was right in my wheelhouse. And that was right. She was, again, my celebrity crush all the way through and even to, to today. So you just recently did a collaboration with Tiffany at, uh, at the space, which I'm, I'm a very, very familiar with that facility. I'm good friends with Mark Chinook who, who owns it and runs it. Um, how did that all come to be? What is your relationship with this pop queen?
1: Well, we were introduced, uh, by our mutual friend, John Harris, uh, who's, you know, been in the music business for quite some time. And, um, when he realized, and he he had reconnected with her uh, after about, you know, several years of, of not communicating, just kind of separate lives, and they had lost touch. And once they reconnected, she let him know that she was doing a lot more with food, um, that her music career was still sort of core to who she is, but that she started a cooking club and uh, she was working on a cookbook, which she has since released. Um and he thought, well, I know someone who cooks a lot. So maybe you guys should meet and maybe you guys can do an event because she was doing a lot of events, um, different parts of the country during COVID. She lives in Nashville now. Um, and so he introduced us and right away, we just were like, you know, uh, two kids gabbin. I mean, we, we, we just connected through food and we decided to do an event. And, uh, so she flew out here. We created the menu together, which was very Mediterranean, uh, inspired, um, and it was just, it just, it just kind of happened. And then before we knew it, like we were going out to dinner, I took her to Golden Tiki. Um, she met my husband. I mean, it's like, you know, and I met her fiance. Uh, we just struck up this friendship and it's just been such a beautiful thing. I mean, she has just a gigantic heart. I mean, and she's, she's a force. She comes into a room and it's like, she's not arrogant. She's just beautiful, but she has a, just a great laugh. And it's like, everybody is drawn to her, even if they don't know that she's a pop princess, they, you know, because she, she's just a casual person, you know, mm-hmm. in many cases, you'd never know. Um, But yeah, she's just was very easy to befriend. And I'm, I'm very grateful to her. And she's so incredibly supportive of my career. And she calls me her mentor, which I think is just it's so sweet and so kind oh, when it comes to food so we're we're both actually learning together you know she's teaching me things too so it's been a lot it's been a lot of fun
0: and you mentioned you're putting together a cookbook with her um, Yeah. what kind of recipes and what kind of uh of dishes are you are you putting into that cookbook is it is it kind of a little bit of everything is it big stuff little stuff easy stuff hard stuff sort of all over the place
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, no, I think it's going to be easy stuff. Um, So we're doing, a lot of it is sort of 80s themed. Um, So I did like, um, one of my mashups that I'm doing is, you know, this French bread pizza. I don't know if you ate them as a kid, but like the little frozen French bread pizzas. I used to love them as a kid. And also in the 80s, uh, what came out, become very, very popular through Wolfgang Puck was the barbecue chicken pizza. So I smashed those together and I made a barbecue chicken, French bread pizza, (laughs) so, but it's not very hard. I mean, you could even use just rotisserie chicken, you know, put your favorite barbecue sauce on it. You know, you could, you know, some French bread, slice it open, you know, uh, horizontally cut into slices. And it's just a a really, really great recipe, super, super fun recipe, very easy. So a lot of things like that are, you know, things that we enjoyed as kids, Um, you know, nachos and just different types of things that are some, some of them are elevated And some of them are like, you know, real, real, real basic Um, because again, we want it to be accessible for people, not something that's so, you know, high and foodish that it's difficult to execute. We want people to actually make it and not just, you know, sit on their, on their shelf. So
0: as a person that has several cookbooks sitting on their shelf, some of which I know for a fact I haven't even cracked open, um, yeah. I appreciate that a lot, because I've gotten cookbooks before, I'm like, oh, this is great, and then I start thumbing through it, and I think, this is way too hard for this kid, I'm not figuring this stuff out anytime soon, so I I appreciate that you're doing simple stuff, I think that's outstanding. That's
1: Thank you, yeah, and there is a cookbook that I has it's one of my favorites, a gorgeous cookbook, Um it's a Nobu cookbook of all the different types of sushi. And it's it's nothing that you could ever execute in a million years. Number one, you don't have access to that type of fish. Nobody does. Um, and, you know, the the ingredients and just the, I mean, just the labor that goes into some of these things. But I mean, it looks great on a coffee table. I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous cookbook. It's just beautiful, but never made anything in that.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one then.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I make no mistake. I mean, this is going to be a pretty cookbook. So we're really, you know, going to be putting a lot of time and energy into the aesthetic. Um, pictures are going to be good. Like Food with Spirit, there's a re- there's a, uh, an image for every single recipe, which is not a luxury I had. And if you look at my reviews on Amazon, for example... <laughs> Uh, I still have like a, I don't know, like a four three or four seven I can't remember out of five stars. But if you look at the negative comments, it's like, where are all the pictures? Where are all the pictures? Because Italian cookbook for two had a bunch of pictures. Food with Spirit has a picture for every single recipe. Um, and that's just the way that particular publisher rolled. And I didn't have a choice. Sorry, everybody. I didn't have a choice on that one. But but I, I need pictures. And obviously, when you have someone as beautiful as Tiffany and the life that she has, you know, being out on stage. And I mean, there's just going to be a lot of fan interaction. And it's going to be a lot of colors and she's super into art and um, doing a lot of pop art stuff, even in the UK she's been involved in. So it's it's going to be a very um, aesthetically pleasing book um, that people are really going to enjoy, almost like a lifestyle book in addition to being a, a cookbook. So it's kind of like a, a, a it's going to be pretty unique. So we're excited about it.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Uh, If you're talking to her anytime soon, please tell her I say hi.
1: I will. (laughs) uh, (laughs) She will see this. Trust me. She will see this. Yeah. You might even be able to convince her to come on the show. Yeah. You might be able to convince her. (laughs) Please give her my best
0: and please tell her I love her. Okay.
1: I'll let her fiance know. (laughs) Yeah, please do.
0: (laughs) Um, Alicia, if people want to learn more about you, they want to get recipes. They want to get their hands on your cookbooks. They want to see where you're going to be at next. You are very active online and very active on social media
1: thank you yes I am so I've got my website dinkcuisine.com um, backslash events. Uh, I've got all my events posted on my website, all my recipes posted on my website. I also run a group on Facebook called the Dinkdom, D-I-N-K-D-O-M, um, which has exclusive content. So I publish recipes there first. Um, so we've got membership that's coming up on a thousand members. Um, so it's, it's you know, rapidly growing, which is amazing. Um, so if you're looking for exclusive content, go there first. And then I usually, you know, kind of post stuff to other channels after. But you can also follow uh, just my regular Facebook, um and also on Dink Cuisine and Twitter uh, at Dink Cuisine.
0: Excellent I will share all those links in the show notes uh, Alicia, thank you so much it's been a, a pleasure chatting with you and a pleasure getting to know you and uh, and I look forward to coming down to Vegas and uh, maybe connecting with you and uh, having a bite to eat
1: Well, I cannot wait and thank you so much for the work that you're doing to promote our city and all the different components, I think I told you that your um, your episode about comps, I found incredibly interesting. I mean, that's a world that, you know, no one knows how it works. And you exposed a lot and had a great expert on to kind of talk about it. And some of your other episodes have just been phenomenal. So, yeah, excited to bring more attention, more more eyeballs and ears to, uh, to what you're doing. And, and thanks for what you do for our city. We appreciate it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thanks, Jeff. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, Or drop me an email directly at jeff at jeffdoesvegas.com.